Yeah. Yeah. Hey. That's the start of the show, friends. Hey. Is this thing on? Fantasy Focus is. is presented by Geico. Switch today. Switch to Geico and see all the ways that you could save. It is Wednesday, June 7th. Uh, we're going to talk about the Miami Heat, the Denver Nuggets, as you just heard That's right. for about three seconds at the start of the show. More seriously, we'll talk about football, but what's going on? We, actually, it's, it's, it's ironic that that popped up. Yes. That, that soundbite hit the very top of the show. For those that are on the audio version and have no idea what we're talking about, for, for just yeah. like, okay, well, maybe we should keep it in. But if we decide to cut it, there was a, a, just a, a touch of interference there where you heard, was that, was that Eric Spolstra? It sounded like maybe Eric Spolstra's voice discussing the Miami Heat. Somebody referencing the NBA Finals, and we were just asking before the show began who we thought would win game three. And to the shock of everybody here, Mike actually knew the NBA Finals were taking place right now. I'm really proud of you, man. That's true. I had hockey and NBA now, right? Those two things are going on. Those are other sports that I don't usually watch, but okay. I'm familiar with them because I work at a company that covers sports. So okay. sometimes yes. I hear about these other things going on. And but should we play we cover, a game? Not only do we cover them, the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals are on, on this network. network. So you should watch all. You should watch all of them. I we mean, should play a game. We should play a game. We should just start naming players from the two teams in the NBA finals <laughs> and see if Mike knows which team they play for. Let's, in go, this go, Let's go NHL. Let's just know oh, well, that. Yeah. That I could do. Okay, that you put. put you know, some fantasy hockey teams. Do you? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's interesting. You run a fantasy hockey league. Wow. Just, just quickly, really just, just indulge me here for a second. Okay. Heat or Nugget to the two options. You're aware of that, right? Kyle Lowry. Who does he play for? Uh, ooh, um, I'll say Nuggets. Okay, that's incorrect. That is wrong. <laughs> wrong from the jump. <laughs> okay. I know Jimmy Butler. That's about all I got. Okay. Tyler Hero. How did he look the other night? Who? Tyler, Tyler Hero. Uh, um, from Big Hero 6, the Yo, movie. What a great so, movie, by the so way. So good. good. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's who that is, right? He's out with an injury. Well, I thought it was come a short on, question. It was a Disney character. That, that was actually, there. that was Stefania leading us into the theme of today's show, because what well we're going to do on the show today is discuss some of the major injuries that took place last season and we're going to use them as a springboard to the 2023 season stefania is going to give us whatever update she has and we're going to offer up our thoughts on how we would approach drafting these players especially for those that are drafting early or maybe you're a best baller maybe you're somebody that's just obsessed with fantasy football and you're thinking draft strategy every day of the year and if you're obsessed with fantasy football you're probably watching this show right now a reminder we are back Every Wednesday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. If you want to watch us on YouTube, you can do that. If you want to watch us on Twitter, ESPN app, Facebook, wherever you like to watch your media, go check it out. Normally, Kyle is in the YouTube chat. He is out of the office today. He'll be back next week, but it's a great way to be interactive and interact with some friends who or people that become your friends because they are big fans of the show. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I thought you had something to say there. No, right? uh, but I fully agree with that. Mama Dop hangs out in the YouTube chat all year long. Does and she it love is like it. A yeah. she's, a, she's famous. She's a celebrity in that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she, she is our is. biggest fan. <laughs> she is. All right, so let's get to it with some injury updates. And uh, a couple of reminders here. It is June 7th. Things that take place on June 7th can be different from things that take place on June 8th, much less September 7th, which is still three months. We have 92 days until the NFL regular season begins. So much can change. But Stefania, let's do some expository and then some insight onto these various major injuries. We'll start at quarterback Kyler Murray, who, of course, suffered that torn ACL. It was a non-contact ACL injury on December 12th. That was week 14, Monday Night Football. Where is he at in his recovery? Uh, it's still early. I mean, we talk every year about guys who have ACL tears and say, you know, that as bad as it is when they have them in the preseason, you have a pretty good chance of being ready for the next season. When it happens in December, that's much harder to do. And keep in mind, Kyler Murray did not have his surgery until January 3rd. So he was really pushing it to try and be ready for week one. Now, Michael Bidwell, the Cardinals owner, had expressed optimism. There's going to be the words that you hear all the mm, time, right? Expressing <laughs> optimism. But then he's been backtracking it recently, kind of like they want to play it smart for uh, Kyler Murray. And let's not forget, part of the reason we love Kyler Murray in fantasy is because of his running. And last year he was on pace for 700 yards rushing, obviously having to make plays without uh, a lot of his stars at times. And that's part of the challenge for him coming back is not – just being able to get out there and throw and run, but it's escapability. It's avoiding pressure. It's being able to change direction quickly. It's agility. Those are the hard things to get back. And you have to not only allow for the biological healing, but you have to get practice in uh, not only against your team, but against other defenses. It's I, I would not uh, say at this time, like I, I don't think I'd be drafting him because we just have no mm -hmm. idea when he's going to come back. Sure. 
So yeah. let's, I, I want to make sure that like, if neither Daniel or Mike touches on something, I do want to introduce one dynamic that I think a lot of people are aware of, but maybe isn't necessarily in plain sight. But Mike, let's talk about not just draft strategy, but projections. Mm-hmm. You have to make a projection. You have to develop a projection for every single player on every roster in the NFL. And there is certainly an element of guesswork involved with these projections. So as far as the mm-hmm. projections are concerned, about how many games do you foresee Kyler Murray playing this season? Yeah, sorry if I'm at 10 starts right, <clears throat> right now, but uh, this is an interesting podcast. I'm going to listen to Stefania, and then maybe if you see a projection go down a little bit, it's because of what I heard today. If it goes yeah. up a little bit, maybe it's because Stefania's a little more optimistic. So I'm going to learn here and adjust those projections based on what we find out uh, from from Stefani's insight. So right now I'm at 10 starts, right? So that would assume a start in the PUP list, most likely. And then a little bit more injury risk in, in there as well. Uh, but here's the thing. Based on what you're saying, he may come back off PUP. And maybe for a month, he doesn't really scramble that much or mm-hmm. run the ball much. So is that a guy that you feel good? Obviously, you don't want to draft him, right? Because you want to hold a guy like that for six weeks to your point, six, seven weeks, potentially. And then you want to start him for a month if he's not running the ball in an offense that may struggle yeah. this season. Then maybe you want to use them closer to the fantasy playoffs, maybe, but I, I it doesn't feel worthwhile. I, to me. I do There's... want to follow up on that because here's the thing: one one thing that you really want to be careful with when you're bringing a player back from an injury like this is limiting them. At least uh, they may self limit in terms of where their comfort level is, but you certainly don't want to have it in their head mm-hmm. that they should avoid scrambling. Hmm. And so that, in in essence, and plus you look at the offense. I mean, now we know DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you don't know what it's going to look like. He may be forced to run. Does that mean you take a little more time to make sure he's comfortable with all scenarios? But I, uh, sorry, uh, just one more thing, just adding on to that. Uh, we've seen this though, right? Joe Burrow of his ACL didn't like, did not run at all. That was a concern going into last season that he wasn't going to add value with his legs a year off the ACL. He ran a lot last year. And then Justin Herbert, when he was beat up last season, yeah. he just stopped running as well until later in the season, really the whole season. He didn't run that much. So will that, will he bounce back in that category this season? Obviously a different injury. So I, yeah, I mean, those are valid concerns. You've already said a lot of numbers around Kyler. So I just want to say this, you talked about going to, start likely on the PUP Stefania. He's going to come back at some point Mm -hmm. mid season and then weeks 14 through 17, his fantasy playoffs. I want to tell you is this, he gets a bye week in week 14, (laughs) then the 49ers at home at Chicago and at Philadelphia. So are you going to lose the first five to six weeks of the season and then play him in the fantasy playoffs against those guys? That's three unusable games. Yeah, but I think I, Chicago will be usable. You yeah, see, that's yeah, right. Okay, so, so, okay, three yeah, on including, including the bye. The bye gotcha. week. Okay, yeah, yeah, for the 49ers yeah, the and the yeah, Eagles. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'd say this, so a couple things. I'm probably a little less concerned about the schedule now, only because as great as I think both Philadelphia and San Francisco will be, so many things can happen and defenses can change from one season to the next. And a running quarterback sort of does tend to offset the elite defenses. We saw this with Justin Fields last year, much more than like mm-hmm. an elite throwing quarterback. Like when Tua hit the teeth of his schedule last year, yep. all of a sudden it went way down. Justin Fields still managed against some of those elite defenses because he can run the game against Philly that became a shootout mm-hmm. uh, last year for fantasy purposes is a good example. The point that I keep wondering right now is are we positive that Kyler Murray is going to play this year? No, we're not. I mean, this is a team yeah. who, if you take stock of the Arizona Cardinals roster right now, it'd probably be, if if not 32, it's definitely bot- bottom five in the NFL. Right there with the LA Rams in the same conference. I mean, but just like take the three best players from the Rams, and you're talking about a guy who's been the best defensive player for nearly a decade in Aaron Donald, Super Bowl winning quarterback in Matthew Stafford, and an offensive player of the year winner two years ago in Cooper Cup, right? Yeah. Like, do the same exercise for Arizona right now. Mm-hmm. Who are the three best players? Truthfully, like, I, 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 that's mm-hmm. a good question to ponder right here. Like, there are guys who have had successful moments in their career, but I think if you were building a roster from scratch and the Cardinals' entire roster was available, the first three picks, I mean, they might be a guy, and one of them might be Paris Johnson, who's never played a snap. Yeah. He's their first Buda round Baker, pick. Yeah, this year. Like, Buda Baker is probably Humphrey, the most so, obvious yeah. answer, but Humphreys, who knows, right? Like, Humphreys, yeah. they might have just drafted his replacement. Yeah. Anyways. I'm not positive the Cardinals are interested in winning this year because they also own the Houston Texans pick next year. It's possible that they're already kind of planning the Kyler Murray exit. Yes, I'm putting the car before the cart before the horse, but this is a roundabout way of saying that if you are inclined to draft a second quarterback because you feel like the player that you are taking is right on the boundary of being a usable QB1 week in and week out, you go super patient and you wind up with 
Kirk Cousins or Jared Goff or somebody in that tier, and you say, you know what, I want to insulate my roster with a second quarterback that can be my insurance policy later in the season. I think there are enough options who present comparable upside to Kyler Murray with a whole bunch more certainty in terms of their availability. Yeah, I think Superflex is the only spot where I'm considering Murray, and that would be as my third quarterback, right? You take your one, you yeah. got to take a two, and then that's where you start throwing darts at young guys or you know, a potential breakout player, someone like that. And that's where you can take a shot on Kyler Murray because if he does come back in week seven, you just hit the lottery and yeah. super flex. I mean, if you have a good QB one and then Kyler, you're, you're sitting pretty. As but that's the only spot I'm considering. As long as you don't need to use him in week one of the playoffs because the idea that a week 14 game still has buys when it's week one of the playoffs is a thing. Can, that we, you can we talk well, about that for a second? Yeah. I just hate I, the idea of no, doing no, that. No, no, <laughs> but but uh, can we talk about this for a second? The fact that the NFL still has bye weeks in week 14. Yeah. I know this is new based off of the 17-game schedule, but we need to find a way to petition to the NFL to eliminate bye weeks that take place during the fantasy football playoffs. And if we agree mm-hmm. that week 14 is like the semi-start of the fantasy playoff schedule for those, uh, and I, I understand your league settings can 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 determine when you start the playoffs, and I know that on ESPN.com, obviously our default settings are week 15 through 18 with two-week per-round playoffs. 14 for playoffs, but obviously a lot of leagues do start up in week 14 to avoid the potential of teams not playing in week 18 because they've already clinched something or they have nothing left to play for on the opposite end of the spectrum. But we can't have bye weeks during week 14 of the NFL season. They should finish. It should, it should not be that hard, right? This should really not be that hard if you think about it. I agree with you. He said bam. Bam. It shouldn't be that hard, right? I mean, I know why it's hard. We're not naive to why it's hard. It's because it's money, right? It's about the TV deals, and it's about the balance of the schedule and things like that. But NFL bye week should not be that complicated. We should not have any bye weeks before, like, week six, right? Because these players that have their bye week in week four, it's like a full season after that. It should be, like, week seven, and then however many weeks six is so week seven through 12, right? Mm-hmm. That's six weeks of buys. And you do what? Five teams on a buy each week. I guess that have to be an even number, whatever you would do. I don't six, do too much math right now. Do but math. Anyways, know, okay. Pack them into six or seven weeks. You. Pack them into six, or seven weeks. <laughs> do it right in the middle of the season. Don't worry about week 14. We don't need those buys when the fantasy playoffs are taking place. No one's a bigger fantasy or football fan than fantasy players in general. We consume the sport like nobody else. So yeah, like, why not? Be, yeah. You know, I'm with yeah, you. And there's a week with, I think it's week 13. There's no buys too. Well, that makes it even worse. Right. It's Thanksgiving. Oh, that's yeah. So they eliminate mm-hmm. bye weeks during Thanksgiving. So instead what they, so again, Week seven through twelve, everybody's bye week should be between week seven through twelve. I think it makes a lot of people happy. There we go. We'll do the schedule. The change. (laughs) We got it. All right, let's go to Brock Purdy, who suffered a torn UCL during the NFC Championship game. As everybody, of course, remembers, he ends up returning to the game to find it because Josh Johnson got hurt, couldn't even throw the football. Where are we at with Brock Purdy and his recovery? He's doing really well. I mean, uh, he is throwing a football, not a half-size football. He's throwing regulation-size football now. He started an interval throwing program. This is typical after you come off an elbow surgery where you're being put back in a throwing progression. Uh, It's set distances and times, and it's about three times a week now. But everything so far has been according to plan. Obviously, the injury happened late. Uh, We've talked about it. I've written about it with my colleague, Nick Wagner. He underwent what's called a UCL repair with internal brace augmentation, essentially avoiding a full Tommy John reconstruction with a graft and repairing the native ligament and then augmenting it with a synthetic fiber tape. All of which is to say that not only is it a great surgery and that it means there was less invasive stuff that they had to do and not harvesting a tendon to replace the ligament, but it's also... Um, it's your natural tissue healing, and the recovery process is shorter. Now, we don't have many NFL quarterbacks to go by. There's been two other professional quarterbacks who've had it done. One is Nick Mullins, who also was playing for the 49ers when he suffered his injury, and he has since gone on to play for a number of different teams, currently with the Vikings as backup. I spoke with him recently. He said his elbow feels great, and if he had any advice for Brock, it would be, just trust it because it comes back better than you think. So the one guy who's actually seen NFL playing time since the injury says his elbow feels 100% and was very confident in what Brock's going to be able to do. Clayton Thorson, who uh, is not with an NFL team right now, but seeking a contract potentially with an NFL team, uh, he had it happen as well and said he knew right away what it was, and, and he too is feeling really good afterwards. So, so far we have very limited data points, but 
everything for Brock is going according to schedule. And right now, and the 49ers are the ones saying this, but they say he's on track for week one. And Kyle Shanahan did say they expect him to be available during training camp, at least for part of it. So, uh, obviously, every progression and throwing program is predicated on no problems in the prior phase of the throwing program. So, until he gets there, we don't know. But everything looks great for him right now. And I would just tack on that Nick Wagner reported yesterday about how good Trey Lance looks in uh, OTAs and he and Sam Darnold splitting reps right now. Um, This is going to stir up as we get closer to uh, training camp and and opening for week one. But all three quarterbacks look to be on track uh, for San Francisco. Okay, so I think right now the the prohibitive favorite, if all three are healthy to be the starter, is Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he's, he is the starter if he's healthy. Right. They basically came out and said mm-hmm. that. Sure sounds like if he's not healthy, it'll be Sam Darnold. Um, I am I really want Trey Lance to happen. Feels like that ship sailed in San Francisco. Maybe he eventually becomes a starter somewhere else. But it sure sounds like it's going to be Sam Darnold if it's not Brock Purdy because he's not ready to go in week one. As far as the draft strategy is concerned, though, Mike, and you're thinking about selecting a Debo Samuel or a George Kittle or a Brandon Ayuk, does it even matter? No, I I don't think it matters much because, look, objectively speaking, Brock Purdy is not a player we can view as an an above-average quarterback, maybe not even an average quarterback. He has not played enough yet. The sample is too small. This is a... That Mr. Sorry. Irrelevant, I mean, if you're just objectively ranking each team's quarterback situation, one to 32, this is a concern area, right? We, they don't have, like, you wouldn't look at any other t- roster that has these guys and be like, this is a good situation. Mm-hmm. But they have Kyle Shanahan. So no matter who the quarterback is, you're probably going to feel pretty good that this is going to be a competent offense. And that's kind of the answer to your question, which is, yeah, we still feel the same about Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and CMC and George Kittle because it doesn't seem to matter who the quarterback is, whether it is Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard or Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance yeah. or Brock Purdy. He makes it happen. He gets the job done. So no, I'm not moving the needle at all. Yeah, no, I got to tell you though. And I know I just sort of mentioned it. Like I just want Trey Lance to go somewhere where he has a chance to actually start Me yeah. too. because for fantasy football purposes, he is by far the most compelling out of these three mm-hmm. quarterbacks, right? I, I agree. And I look at Brock Purdy and what I see is a guy that, Multiple touchdowns in all of his five starts, right? Last yeah, year, seven straight games, yeah. seven straight games, with multiple touchdowns, but cannot run at all. Right. I look at him and he basically looks like a young version of Jared Goff to me. He's a guy that I think can be an accurate, competent NFL company, quarterback, yeah. doesn't use his legs. But you look at the, the people that are around him and Jared Goff has a decent cast, right? And I think the same thing happens in San Francisco. Obviously, we've seen more from Jared Goff, but I think Brock Purdy can live in that same kind of vein. I just don't think that he's one. He's not going to be fantasy relevant to us as a quarterback and field to your point, finding a place where Trey Lance, where we're begging for quarterbacks who can use their legs to be able to go to be a fantasy quarterback for us anywhere other than San Francisco. If they think Brock Purdy is going to be there. It sure feels like that's a 2024 proposition. I'm just sad for the fact that we probably won't see Trey Lance start meaningful games this year, unless both Brock Purdy and Sam Donald are hurt. And he has so much upside because of that rare athletic ability. Yeah. So one of those three guys, if they're all on the team will be essentially the new, the new rule, the the emergency emergency third quarterback. Right. So they won't really be on the active roster. each Yeah. So you won't get to easily get to the Super Bowl this year. Wow. Oh. Yikes. 49ers and their fans just can't stop. <laughs> wow. Can't stop complaining. Wow. Just never wow. ending. That's right. Can't, can't wait for the rematch. Four I can't overall wait for the rematch. pick to the like, emergency number third, third stream. Number three overall pick. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's, crazy. It's, it is just a wild, wild story. Let's get a wide receiver and Cooper <laughs> Cup, of course, the biggest name amongst the wide receivers who got hurt last year it was a high ankle sprain in week 10. That was November 13th. He had surgery just a few days later called tightrope surgery, if I'm not mistaken, Stefania. What's the outlook with Cooper. Uh, it was a tightrope surgery with an internal brace, kind of the same thing that they do at the elbow. They reinforce the surgery with the internal brace. Um, we have data on this. Success rate coming back from this is incredibly high. And we've seen guys who've come back very quickly from it. The fact that Cooper Cup has all the additional time. I mean, the thing I like about where he's at is he could have potentially, if the injury had happened earlier in the year, it's something that he could have come back from during the season. And then you look at Cooper Cup's history. He came back from an ACL reconstruction and did what very few people do. He had a very successful following season and he played all 16 games. 
I, I heard stories about his rehab. I was out there with the Rams when he was coming back from his ACL surgery, and everyone was raving about him as a patient and how he approached it. In fact, he was so intense in his recovery that he went to the rehab staff with ideas about how to switch up what they were doing in rehab to accommodate position-specific demands that he felt he needed. I mean, we dream about having patients like that. So to me... Yes, it was an injury that was unfortunate during last year's fantasy season. He had to have surgery. You never like to hear that. But I can't think of anyone I'd be more confident in coming back, especially given the additional time he's had to recover. I, I treat Cooper Cup like he's 100% that, coming into this year. That is music to all mm-hmm. of our ears. I think we Love all that. feel the exact same way. I think the interesting conversation surrounding Cooper Cup is not whether he is good to go, whether he's 100% in our eyes or not anymore. It's... Is there a compelling case for him ahead of Justin Jefferson in drafts? Yeah. I mean, you look at since the start of 2021, I actually have the number here. Since the start of, of 2021, yeah. 24.7 fantasy points per game. Second place during that stretch. Oh, my gosh. 20.6. Yeah. Wow. That's, That's over four points yeah. per game. Think about that. So I've actually, like, I've, I have seen, and you know, you try not to put too much weight into reaction to rankings because I think what tends to happen is that. If people like your rankings, they don't respond and say like, hey, great job. I totally agree. I think what happens is they just get mad. Certain people get mad about things and they say, I can't believe you have Debo Samuel at this spot or mm-hmm. Cooper Cup is too high or so-and-so is too low. Michael Thomas is too low. And I have, but I have seen some of the chatter that like the Rams porous offense means that Cooper Cup should not be considered in, in, in that very, very esteemed elite tier of players that could go number one overall. I'm thinking to myself, why does it matter? Who cares what the offense looks like? Yeah, he's he gets get 12 targets. targets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With an awesome quarterback. Say what yeah. you will about how last season played out. Matthew Stafford's a terrific quarterback. And by the way, for all of Stafford's struggles last year, Daniel, it didn't impact Cup whatsoever. When no. the two of them were on the field together, Cooper Cup was the same player he was mm-hmm. in 2021 in terms of fantasy production. He was point one points per game inferior, 24.9 to 24.8 during that season in 2021 in which he was the face of fantasy football offensive player of the year super bowl mvp arguably the greatest when you can when you include the playoffs the greatest season for a wide receiver in the history of the game maybe he should be in that 1.01 conversation that floor is as safe as it gets right you talk about him and justin jefferson i think have the safest floor while also having the ceiling that those other guys also possess right now my question mark matthew stafford does not make or break Cooper Cup, but I do think he makes Cooper Cup better. Of course, I, yeah. just him being healthy, coming back, being a full go. Like I think that's one of the question marks that I have within this Rams offense. I think it's the breakfast together. Mm-hmm. You think that's Every what day, it is? I think that's what did it. That, I would <laughs> say, like the, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say. I think my only concern, you know, in terms of the Rams, how good that. I mean, I have them projected to have the first pick next year, right? I think wow. they're really. Yeah. It's gonna be a rough year. I mean, that roster is bleak. Yeah, especially the defense. Worst I've seen since I've been in this industry for sure. So, and that's with Aaron wow. Donald and not the defense, which is unbelievable. But look at the roster if you think I'm crazy. Um, but here's the thing: what if they really are struggling and they have two wins and it's December and they're like, "All right, it, you know, things are falling apart." Stafford's older; he's getting a little beat up. He's not the future. Let's take a look at Stetson Bennett for a few weeks. That's during yeah. the fantasy playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So, I've thought about you know I've at least considered that the floor could just fall out for this whole team this yeah. year. It's that's a real possibility. Um, it's, so it's I, on I my mind. I, it's not a huge yeah. needle movie mover, but it's different than if the roster was better. And then I, I think you could make a case for a cup at 1.1, but that's enough for me to knock him down like the middle of the first round. Okay. Fair enough. I, I don't, I have a hard time envisioning this team really bottoming out. I understand that a, the roster, like it looks bleaker now than it did the end of last season and B like they don't owe a pick next year right like Mm -hmm. for them having a top five pick has immense value whereas last year like the further away that pick was from number one maybe for the better even though it was a sunk cost to Detroit but I thought they actually like punched above their weight so to speak down the stretch last year there were a couple of games that got away from them in a major way but Mm -hmm. like Baker Mayfield came back and like gave them a real jolt of energy. Like they beat the Raiders in that Cam Thursday night game. Cam Akers looked better, right? Like they had that game against the Broncos late in the season. The Broncos were terrible, but they like completely obliterated them, right? So I, I wonder if this team like scratches and claws its way mm-hmm. to like seven wins 
which would be enough, I would think, to keep Cooper Cup in the fold. But I think we're kind of this is this is the semantics portion of the show. Cooper Cup should be an extremely highly ranked wide receiver. And if you have any concerns about his injury, then uh, they hopefully were assuaged over the past five or so minutes. Running backs where it gets really, really interesting. And two guys who may be in a similar boat in some people's eyes, but perhaps that is not the case. Let's start with Brees Hall, Stefania, who last year had a torn ACL and meniscus on October 23rd. That was week seven. Up to that point, he had been just awesome for the Jets. What's the chance that we see him sometime soon? Yeah, on track for rookie of the year. I mean, Brees Hall looked amazing. Here's the thing about Brees Hall's situation that makes it the toughest for me, or one of the toughest in terms of trying to project what we think will happen when the season begins. He, everything sounds great. He looks great. He's doing well with his rehab. Everything's on track. All the positive chatter that you expect the team to put forward. It sounds like Brees Hall's been very confident and optimistic when he's spoken as well. Mm. Um, he's mostly been doing stuff on the side right now during OTAs. Robert Sala bragging about him, saying he hit 22 miles per hour on the GPS. For people who might not be aware, a lot of these teams, almost every team now, is using these wearables where they're tracking things like their uh, acceleration. And they look at like angular movement. They look at straight ahead things, and they compare their velocity time over time over time. 22 miles per hour would help us if we knew what he used to hit. Yeah. So I don't really know where that stands, although it's pretty darn fast. Can but we get here, some of those GPS trackers for us on the uh, show? Uh, no, we no. do not want them. Oh. How fast do you think you could run? Like, what, uh, honestly, what would you run a 40 years? Do you know question. what 22 miles per hour looks like? It's pretty damn fast. I, I don't. Like, let me, like, like, what do you think, think I could run a 40 in? Could, seriously. I, I could probably run a 40 in 5.8 seconds. I, you know what? That's actually like a very modest and like reasonable guess for someone like us. Yeah. 5.8? Five, 5.8. Eight. Five, yeah, eight. Like, I, I buy that. Like, uh, like if you said, like, I, I, I could probably run like a 4.75, really? I'd be like, you're out of your damn mind. Is that, is that too fast, you think? Yeah. But you think I, I can't run a 40 in right, We have to do this eight. now. We have to <laughs> do that too. Stefania. You know, I mean, you know, one of my favorite parts about like the pre-draft process is like some wide receiver will clock like a four seven two forty, and you're like, well, to bum. Then you see the guy running out in like the track and you're like, is that Usain Bolt? Like, yeah, no, right. that's the undrafted guy that the 49ers yeah. signed last week. Yeah, right? exactly. yeah statistically, he's not going to make it. Like, yeah. right? no, no, nobody was talking about the GPS monitors. I thought we could use them for some of these things. I didn't mean to get you off track. No, 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 I want to do this now. Okay. I want to see you I, run the 40. I do too. We can play some wagers here and, and make this fun. Five, eight, one is the over-under officially. All right. We're doing this. I'll take the under. Okay, I'm taking the under, definitely too. Definitely come. Okay, good. I'll take the over. I'll take but the over, no, too. Why not? Yeah, and no injuries afterwards, by the no, way. I don't no, want to no, deal with that. A popped hamstring is a lot of stress. <laughs> <It's laughs> going definitely going to happen. But here's, here's the thing. Um, so the GPS, that's great that he is running that fast, but that's like a top speed. And what you really care about, one of the hardest things to get back after an ACL tear is acceleration. And uh, actually, this is brand new information. It was just presented last year. The medical staff at Alabama looked at it. They have some experience with ACL injuries. And we, t we tend to think like deceleration is one of the harder things to do in terms of your confidence, your knee. But acceleration is where players took the longest to get back. And why does that matter? Because how quick can you get to your top end speed? How elusive can you be? And in going back and forth with Rich Semini, who covers the Jets, about how Brees Hall has looked, he's like, that's one of the things he's so good at is that explosiveness and power and acceleration. So uh, typically takes more than 10 months to get that back. So you factor that Brees Hall may be ready for week one. That's sort of how the team's projecting it. That's what it appears as of now, barring a change little concerned about the fact that they've acted like we won't see him at all in preseason games. I know nobody wants to be the guy who gets a player hurt in the preseason because mm -hmm. look what happened to John Harbaugh after his running backs got hurt playing in the preseason. But I would ask you, how do you prepare for competition if you don't ever perform to competition? competition? Yeah. It means you're going to have to acclimate during games. So if Brees Hall comes back in week one, does he get the volume of work? of a fully recovered Brees Hall? Probably not. Does he look the exact same as he did pre-injury? Probably not, especially if that's his first time playing against real defenses. Well, in this offense field, you can take over, but this, this offense is going to look different than last year too, because it's not going to be the Brees Hall in that offense. It's going to be a Brees Hall in an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. And with this offense 
just being should be better all around. How would that imp- impact mm. someone like Brees? Interesting. Does it matter, Mike? No, I don't think it matters. And uh, my brain went right to Aaron Jones. He's been pretty darn good, and you know, with Rogers uh, for quite a while. And honestly, yeah. Hall might get more work than a player like Aaron Jones. So, and, and by the way, right now he's going to cost you probably a twelve-team league, a third-round pick. Brees Hall right now, maybe he gets to the second round now with like the optimistic reports that are floating around with him running, as you pointed out. Um, and you know, if you get RB nine out of that pick, feel fine with that. Feel yeah. great. And by the way, he started slow last year too, right? He was limited the first couple of weeks just because he was a rookie that quickly changed because yeah. he showed he was the real deal. And then he was a fantasy superstar there for a few weeks. So this is a, this is a tricky the, one. The cautionary tale will always be Dalvin Cook in my mind because he looks so good. Yeah. And then the team was like, okay, and let's now go. let's run with it. And yep. he ended up getting hurt as a result. I, it, the problem when players look really good, but they don't have a ton of reps back at you know high level mm-hmm. activity is that they tend to get overutilized. They're lobbying for it. The team's looking for it, and it ends up being problematic. So, so we shall see. Th- that's fair. But so you say 10 months. That's going to be like around the start of the season. It was week seven injury. So let's say he's sort of limited. Maybe he misses a week or two where he's a little limited out of the gate. You think, though, uh, assuming he doesn't suffer like a hamstring or a setback like by week five, you know, yeah, that I, he's, I think he'll be he's back coming to- into his own probably in October, assuming everything starts okay. as planned. Well, if that's yeah, true. So and much value there still. If, yeah, yeah, if he's 95, yeah. 100% by October, but I think you're going to feel really good about the that. really yeah. hard part to gauge is the, yeah, if these guys sure. never mm. say, the, there's a big difference between getting limited action in the preseason and getting none. That's all. It, that's all I'll say. And so let's see what happens when so we get there. I'll, I'll just add this is that like with Brees Hall, when you have the acknowledgement of an injury and the acknowledgement of the uncertainty surrounding how he'll look when he returns from this injury, even with the optimism that's defying it just passed along and that the Jets have certainly been passing along is that when you're drafting, you got to take that into account, right? So like if your first and second round picks were as safe as safe can be. If you snagged Cooper Cup with the seventh overall pick and then your second round pick was Travis Kelsey, two guys that you think represent extremely safe players, well, then maybe you can swing for the fence with Brees Hall. But if for some reason you went a bit riskier in rounds one and two and you named the players that you define, maybe you took Tony Pollard in the second round, who even though I think we all have a rosy outlook for Tony Pollard until we've seen him in that full-time role, maybe he has a bit of a less certain outcome than guys who are a bit higher than him on the running back board. Maybe that's where you can introduce or avoid a Brees Hall. Yeah, and by the way, we are, I mean, round two, three uh, turn is where we're looking at Brees Hall right now. Yep. If Hall did not tear his ACL and made it and was basically performing at that level that he had for a month there for the full season, we'd be talking about him in the top five, maybe with the first overall pick of draft. So we are discounting for this, right? And right now our projections have him returning in week three. I'm constantly monitoring and listening to Stefani. That could change throughout the summer. So, yeah, our ranking of Hall might be more optimistic or it could be less optimistic. We're just going to keep an eye on reports leading up to the season. Let's go, to, all, oh, go ahead, Daniel. Really quickly. This is all no. assuming, obviously, that we get Brees Hall back and everything is like we plan on. Mm-hmm. If for some reason Brees Hall has any kind of a, a setback or anything like that, there are a, a bunch of running backs in this room. Bam yeah, no, Knight looked you. really good last year. <laughs> Michael Carter is a decent pass catcher. I just wondered if there was one that stood out or if you were avoiding if there does happen Bam to be Knight. something well, I like think that. Bam Knight clearly separated yeah. himself last year. Yeah. There's, they're talking about Michael Carter and saying nice things. And last year they said he was the heartbeat of the offense and that lasted until <laughs> week two, I think. Yeah. Right. So literally, yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying that. I think they're going to use multiple backs. Uh, they have, if that uh, were to happen, who else I, do they bring in? They have a rookie in there. They have a couple Israel, backs. I don't know. Yeah, how to say yeah. So they, they have Monaconda from. Uh, yeah, there you go. From I think it'll mostly be Knight yeah. and Carter, yeah. but I'm not flex borderline flex guys. Yeah. Like I, I, not guys you're going to feel great starting. I would say so. Not necessarily any significant investment in the running back room this offseason, which I thought was a good <coughs> sign for Brees Hall. Again, there's still yeah. plenty of backs mm-hmm. available they could sign, but up to this point, they haven't reinforced that room a lot that would make you think that Brees Hall is going to take a little bit more time which stands in stark contrast to where the Broncos have gone with their mm. running back room, Stefania, as Javante Williams is coming off of a torn ACL, LCL, and PCL back on October 2nd. That's week four of the NFL regular season, and this one feels complicated. It is. I mean, just listen to all those things you just said. A lot of L's. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of ligaments. Yeah. And, and the thing that you didn't mention, which is probably the most important, is what we call the posterior lateral corner. And that's sort of, as you would so imagine. A PLC as opposed uh, to a PCL? Uh, sometimes they refer to it as that. But when you talk about the posterior, so posterior 
outside yeah. back corner. It really is a, it's um, an attachment point for a lot of the tissue that support the backside of the knee. And when you have this injury, it is complicated. Surgery is more complicated. The recovery is more complicated. You need it to heal well and be strong. But think about it. You've got damage on the front side of the knee and on the back side and the outside of the knee. So you can't move the knee too much. You have to balance between the knee getting too stiff and the knee being mobile enough to do what you need it to do. And then you've got to get your strength back on muscles on both sides of the knee where the damage occurred. You can get back to pre-injury form, but you need to be careful that you don't overdo it too soon. Mm. And here's my worry with Javante Williams. Everything Sean Payton's saying is like, He's going to be a back week one. He's actually out there mostly for show and tell during OTAs right now. But it sounds like they will not have him start on the PUP, that they're going to have him active early. My biggest concern for him is beyond just will he be ready week one. That will sort of play itself out as we get closer to the season. Hmm. But is he doing too much too soon? Yeah. Uh, some athletes have a remarkable ability to compensate and overcome that and look great when they come back. But does it put him at risk for the rest of his career? He's so young and so talented. I hope they do the right thing by him. But uh, this is a tough injury to come back from. And right now we don't really know anything because he's not doing much of anything. Sure. I would say, too, sometimes you know we, we get closer to the – start of the year we'll talk about who's on pup and who isn't mm. like it's a big deal it is because we know if they're on that list going into the season they can't practice with the team you know they're out a certain amount of time but even in training camp sometimes they don't put players on pup not because they're going to do things but because they can be out there and learning about what's happening with the offense and going through the motions even if they're not able to fully participate so i wouldn't take it as a sign of clearance this- if, if he does not go on the pup I, I don't want people. I think there is. This is complicated in a lot of ways, but don't overthink this, people. This has J.K. Dobbins vibes from last year, right? It really that does. You have yeah. to just ignore the noise mm-hmm. about when he's going to return because there was a time earlier this offseason where their GM, George Payton, in like a matter of a couple weeks, went from like feeling yeah. like we're going to see him on the field early to changing his tenor to I'm not sure when we're going to see him. Sean Payton, I think, is coach speaking right now, mm-hmm. right? As Stefania just alluded to, like he's just saying the things that. Hey, well, you have to express optimism right now. It's June. A lot of people can say optimistic things. The games have not begun. I'm not saying the result's going to be the same as J.K. Dobbins, which is a season last year that was marred by not knowing when you could play him and whether it was even worthwhile to start him because there were weeks in which he was great, but he got seven carries or eight carries in a game. So Javante Williams feels like he is going down a similar path in this regard. There will be a lot of opinions on Javante Williams and what his fantasy outlook will actually be for the season. Some people are going to be right, but those people have no idea if they're going to be right, (laughs) right at this moment, Mm -hmm. right? There's just so much uncertainty here and follow some of the investments that Denver has since made in the backfield. (laughs) Most notably, Samaj P. Ryan, who got a two year, seven and a half million dollar contract very early on in free agency. They prioritized him. I am thinking right now, if I'm drafting Javante Williams, Mike and Daniel, like my first thought is like, I better have a plan to not have him available for the first portion of the season. Yep. Yep. I agree. I have, uh, as I mentioned, I have Brees Hall now coming back week three, Javante, I have week seven. So a lot more risk there. It does not sound as optimistic. It's not a player I'm going to feel confident in right now. And probably for a while. The one thing I'll say is though, I don't like, I guess they gave P Ryan, a decent, you know, for a running back this day and age, like a decent, that was a pretty good a contract, pretty decent yeah. contract. But behind him, there's really nothing else. So it's almost like they expect some sort of, you know, some sort of contributions from Javante early on in the season. It's not mm-hmm. like they expect him to miss the whole season or be out of half the season. It's like Tony Jones and Tyler Batty. Like that's mm-hmm. who's next up, right? It's not like they added a lot they were, of depth there. You're, you're right. I, I kept thinking more they, were, they were going to add someone else. Yeah. Well. And to be fair, there's like 15 free agent running backs that they could that's, add. Yeah, that's right. right. Zeke, that would be a bad a sign. Guys. If they sign Leonard Fournette, you're like, uh oh, yeah. like they have real yeah. concerns here. Yeah. I, I just think that that Samaj P. Ryan, like, he may have played the third down back role in Cincinnati. He's much more than a third down back, right? Like he is a competent starting running back if he gets the opportunities. We saw it last year in Cincinnati. We saw it at times when he was filling in. For Joe Mixon, that yep. that transaction did strike me as notable, especially when you consider that, like, of all the needs that Denver had on paper and the resources they had available, I wouldn't have said to you, like, spending seven and a half million bucks on a running back for two years was, like, at the top of mm-hmm. the wish list. But this is a player who, like, the, 
I, I think I have his running back 28 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like he could finish his running back 88 this year. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. So yeah. like yeah. you're going to have to get You're going to have to prepare for anything. If you take Javante Williams in the draft. Let me ask you this. The last question on him and I'll, th- I'll throw it to you, Daniel. A couple of years ago, a few years ago now, uh, we had Le'Veon Bell, who was the, the threat of a holdout. Uh, he, he was saying he wasn't going to play for the Steelers, but everybody kind of figured, no, he's just, you know, he's playing a game of chicken. He'll be there for week one because, you know, he needs to collect that cash and he just wants to play the game with his teammates. And as a result, people prioritize James Conner in drafts as well. If you are drafting Javante Williams, do you feel as though in turn you should be immediately preparing to take Samaj P. Ryan a few rounds later? I can understand the want to be able to pair both of those running backs to make sure that you have that Denver backfield. I'm not sure that when they're both there and healthy, though, you're going to get the return on investment that you did. Mm-hmm. And it may cost you more than you want to get Samaj P. Ryan if you're going to grab Javante Williams, you know, early enough in your draft. Okay. I think part of that conversation, though, too, field is, and you already brought it up earlier. I texted you about this. A, Maybe it was like a week ago Yeah, where I'm going through a dynasty draft and I said, Hey man, I got Justin Jefferson with the first overall pick and I got to make a decision on someone else. And you're like, you know what? The great thing about Justin Jefferson is he's like a cure all for not having to worry about it. He's so safe that you can take some chances. Yeah. So depending on what the rest of your roster, I hate to say this, but like depending on what the rest of your roster looks like, it would make it you know, easier for me to go for a guy like Javante Williams and try to find someone else a little bit later. If I had a safer floor play up front earlier in the draft because i'm worried about javante yeah it feels like it's going to be a long time until Until there's separation between those two right like we all agree javante williams is the better like he's younger he's the raw talent he was a second round pick he's shown that he can be a at least a good rb2 but when does he get to that point and basically push samaj p ryan to that backup role Maybe not this season. Yeah, so that might not happen this season. Yeah. The most yeah. likely uh, outcome. Yeah. Uh, the votes are starting to pour in, by the way, whether Daniel can run a <laughs> oh, yeah. over or under 5.8 seconds. I voted. Um, and the answer is 70% of the people think it's over 5.8 seconds. Yeah. 70%? We've had an overwhelming number of votes. Go to add fantasy focus on Twitter if you haven't wow. already to cast we your We have vote. to do this. 184 yeah, votes. Wow. We still have 23 hours and 50 minutes left to actually cast your votes. So I'm sure we're going to get some wearables too. So there's uh-huh. no like cheating with a, yeah. uh, you know, I want, stopwatch. I want, I want the stopwatch. Yeah. I'll do the stopwatch. I need it to be, no, because I don't trust you to not use the stopwatch correctly. Yeah, Did you guys see that the, uh, that? the legendary scout for the Steelers who forever has been the guy that's been hand timing forties at the combine that others have turned to as like the source the on 40 times retiring. Oh no. Maybe. Has got some free time on his hands. Say, yeah. 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 Bring him in. Oh Want a trip to Bristol? All expenses <laughs> trip paid. That would be Bring pretty awesome. I bet he can hardly Bristol. wait to do that in his retirement. Javante Williams, in a word, complicated. Let's get to Tony Pollard, Stefania, a reminder that he got hurt in the divisional round game. It was a fractured fibula. The game against your 49ers. Yeah, and a left high ankle sprain. And the, the fractured fibula, actually, the lesser of the injuries. I mean, it, it's kind of all part of the same mechanism, this torsional injury. But the fibula can heal on its own. That's what they left it alone. Uh, they did a tightrope surgery to repair the, the high ankle sprain, similar to Cooper Cup. And Tony Pollard quietly doing really, really well. Mm. And uh, the my concern for him, and we all felt it, right? Here he was, poised to rain in a big payday and then this this injury happened late last season and uh, he was performing so well at the time so you always wonder with a running back and an ankle injury like this can he get it back because it's the agility and the elusiveness and he has been electric we we saw it last year you wonder can he get that back and how long does it take Mm. yes I think he can get it back the question will be how long does it take but the fact that he's doing what he's doing early, he's actually actually running with the ones right now in OTAs, I'm told. So it's, they're not holding him back, which is great because we're looking ahead to training camp doesn't even open for a couple more months. It sounds like everybody's very positive about how he looks. And to me, that activity early in the year and getting that practice under his belt in training camp bodes well for how he will look coming out of the gate week one. All right, so it feels like the injury, not a major concern here for Tony Pollard. I think there's a ton to like about Tony Pollard, Mike and Daniel. I think everybody kind of understands what there is to like about Tony Pollard. The one thing that I keep coming back to with Pollard is that if he has a season that's less successful than what we are currently forecasting, I think it has less to do with him and more about the play calling or the potential roster shuffling that could take place over the next, let's call it, 60 or so days there's this thing that just is sort of hanging out there in the ether right now Mm -hmm. that thing is zeke elliott 
Zeke Elliott remains unsigned. The Cowboys continue to refuse to shut the door on potentially re-signing Zeke Elliott. If Zeke hasn't found the money yet elsewhere that it would take for him to go somewhere else, then I don't know when that money is going to all of a sudden bubble up. I guess injuries can decimate a roster during training camp, but I always feel like once you get into training camp, there are teams that are going to discover players on their own roster that they like more, right? Like the undrafted free agent that looks pretty good right now without pads on really flashes during the preseason. They say, you know what? Rather than spending maybe a couple million dollars on Zeke Elliott, we have this guy right here that we've been developing for a few months who looks like he could be pretty good. He's costing us nothing relative to that two million bucks for Zeke. I keep thinking that Zeke to Dallas is just a matter of time. How much of a damper would that put on Tony Pollard's outlook? It would not put a big damper on it because I think we're already to some extent limiting Pollard's workload. Uh, at least those of us that are, you know, ranking or, yeah. you know, projecting certainly in my projections, it's not like I'm just giving him all of Zeke's workload, right? I have a yeah. p- pretty big projection in there for Ronald Jones, uh, which is I'm not super comfortable with, but mm-hmm. those touches have to go somewhere. I'm not going to get Pollard Derek Henry, like 300 carries and okay. on top of like 50, 55 uh, carry, uh, targets. So, it will it come down a little bit, maybe, but I think you know he was already a borderline top ten running back last year, and we have him. What do we have him as a consensus nine? We have him eighth, eighth, right? I'm at I'm at nine, field nine, Daniel eight. So we're on the same vicinity. I think maybe he moves down a spot or two in our rankings, but nothing substantial. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, but by the way, to your other point, I think that uh, maybe the team's waiting for the Dalvin Cook chip to fall too <laughs> could be something. You know, because sure. would not surprise me if he landed there. You know, if they want to go, let's go. Yeah, yeah. If he landed in Dallas, if Minnesota right. cuts him loose. So that could possibly shake things up once, once we find out what goes on with Dalvin cook. Mike, I want to ask you about your projections here. Yeah. Last year, he had 193 carries for a thousand and seven yards. Yeah. You've been projected for 50 more carries this year, but only 150 more rushing yards. Does that mm-hmm. mean that his efficiency last year was kind of an unsustainable rate for how much he was rushing? Yeah. He's one of those guys where it's like, okay, so since he's drafted third in EPA for carry third in yards per carry first in yards after contact, He's been awesome. Those but are all really good. <laughs> there was our outstanding. But the question is, once you add on to that workload, which we expect his workload continues to increase, uh, can he sustain that level? Yeah. You know, when you're facing uh, sometimes lighter boxes, right? If he gets more goal line work, it, you have more guys in the box, it's going to hurt your yards per carry for sure. So um, it's that. And it's also just normal regression. Guys just can't sustain numbers that high. Five it's just like two it's, yards it's almost impossible. It's, it's almost unheard of. So yeah. uh, that's that's part of why like a like a 4.7 yards per carry for me. That's really high. Mm-hmm. That's a high projection. So that's closer to where he is now. Yeah. And we'll see whether they were right or wrong in this assessment. But it did feel like for the past few years, a consistent drumbeat from the Cowboys coaches was that like for Tony Pollard, sometimes less is more. Right. It's mm-hmm. like we don't want him to be a guy playing 55 snaps in a game regularly there were a couple of instances in which Zeke was out and Pollard absolutely crushed it but a lot of his work as Mike alluded to light boxes perimeter run play in space opportunities that were conducive to more big plays which Mm -hmm. inflates that yards per carry uh, all right, uh, we're going to come back and talk about the tight ends, just a couple of them in just a moment. But first, Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Love well, it. Of course you would. When it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help, like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV, even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Do they have hamstring insurance field? They do. And, uh, yep. yeah. I'm going to call Geico once yeah. I get done with the podcast. Yeah, but when they hear what you're about to do, they're not going to provide not gonna, insurance. Yeah. Yeah, you're not getting it. Like, injury no before way. I, I believe, by the way, the vote's really pouring in. 839 wow. votes. 184 just seven minutes ago. And I haven't even voted yet. And all of a sudden, people are starting to believe that Daniel... Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. It's, it's all the way down from 70% to 69%. That are you? Wow. Yeah. So. Nice. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Do you uh, want I just the heard to go dead. You're hurting your chances. Yeah, this is. Like, oh my god. The, now it's eighty percent over. <laughs> he's, trying, he, he's trying to bait them. He's, he's trying to bait them because he's going to make gonna, him he's think I'm not going to be able to do it. That's what it is. Legally, no, you're not allowed to. All right, as long two, as it's outside <laughs> the team facilities, fine. Do whatever I want. Two tight end injuries to recap. Recap before we say goodbye for the day. Zach Ertz, who suffered a torn ACL and MCL, November thirteenth. That was week ten of the NFL season last year. Stefania, perhaps because of the Kyler Murray injury, this one's flown a bit under the radar where do things stand here yeah you know he actually has said that 
he hopes to be available week one. And I I think that's probably worth considering that he wow. could be. His surgery was in November, which you got to remember what he plays. You know, he's not a running back. He's not trying to get back to that same kind of thing. 32 years old, um, certainly useful for for them. And he, he kind of resurrected his career, right, when he got there. By the way, he had an ankle that needed surgery, and I think he was a different player um, once he got to Arizona and got fully healthy and certainly very useful in their offense plays out of the slot a lot. You know, you're not looking for somebody with elusive speed who's got to get super, you know, agile. I think for the role he plays, it's reasonable to think that Zach Ertz could be back and functional at the start of the season if everything continues to go well. Okay. That's interesting. That's surprising. I would have thought otherwise, but um, mm-hmm. that, that shows how much I know here. So, Mike, you've been baking in the possibility of mixed, missed games in your projections, right? Yeah, I, I have him missing, I think, like four or five games right Which, now. By so, the way, yeah. again, back to what we were talking about. It's June. Entirely of course, of possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's why we look so much at wh- what the guy is doing and also his maturity and his ability yeah. to be yeah. able to understand what he can and can't do. He can he can probably do what he needs to do to be effective for them without being as close to 100% as like a Brees Hall would need to be. Well, I think it's worth noting some context here, right? Because I was talking about how like maybe the Cardinals would be incentivized to holding back Kyler Murray. Like Kyler Murray is their franchise potentially going forward, right? Like I, I know they could draft a quarterback next year if they have a top two pick, but there is a chance that Kyler Murray is their quarterback for the next at least five seasons and perhaps way beyond that as well. Six seasons, actually, he's still under contract for. So you have to play it safe there, right? Beyond that, like the difference between Kyler's impact and the backup quarterback's impact is way more disparate than like Zach Ertz being on the field versus uh, whoever the next man up, Trey McBride is a tight end. Like if you want to borrow a baseball stat, like wins above replacements just aren't going to value tight end contributions nearly as much as quarterbacks on average. So it wouldn't stun me if... Like when Zach Ertz is good to go, they're not as concerned about like, hey, we got to slow play things because we need to stay bad this year. Yeah. And it's interesting because what if he does miss a few games open the season and Trey McBride looks like he lives up to his pedigree. Remember, he was a second round pick last season. He was the top tight end in that class. This is the future. This is the future of their tight end position and a potential tight end one in fantasy. So if he comes out the first month of the season, looks really good. And then Ertz comes back. It's going to hurt both of them but Ertz might not have that ceiling in fantasy anymore. So that's what I'm a little nervous about. That's why none of us have him ranked in the top 12 right now, despite the fact that he has been heavily targeted and really productive since he joined Arizona. In fact, when he got hurt last season, one tight end and more catches, that was some guy named Travis Kelsey. So he was, he was looking good last year, but uh, this is one we're just going to have to take right down to the wire. Uh, Before we get to our last one, I was told from our producer Jackson that it actually takes Daniel. It took Daniel 6.2 seconds (laughs) to get from this side of the room to that side of the room and back. Getting the blood flowing. Okay, got it. All right. So you're not even warmed up. There's 6.2 seconds without a warm up. That's that's good context to keep right there. Last one here, Stefania, is Kyle Pitts. Oh, boy, Uh, that MCL tear last year that took place in week 11, November 20th. There was some thought he could return. He ended up missing the rest of the year. He did, and he underwent surgery, and we really haven't heard from him since. And the bigger concern to me is just the lack of information that we have on him. I mean, this is something where I would think I would have expected to see him back and doing some things in OTAs and not present, not participating. Um, so until I see it, I'm, I'm a little more concerned than I think other people might be. Uh, he, the Falcons also being a little cryptic on him. Arthur Smith kind of saying generically that he expects everyone to be available by the start of the season. I think they've tried to get him to speak a little more specifically to what is the status with Kyle Pitts. And he just keeps going back to the generic, you know, everybody, but the, also that they'd be cautious. He's their star tight end. They don't want to overdo it. To me, it's just a lot of nothing. And I need to see it to believe it. Uh, if he, you know, MCLs don't always require surgery. You know, we hear about MCL sprains. Guys come back. It, there are indications for when you do need a surgery. And obviously this was something he needed. That surgery happened in what, January? You know, it was late December, early January. We're six months out from that, which should be a full recovery time from that procedure. So um, again, until I'm going to reserve judgment, but it definitely puts a little concern for me that I have seen nothing. Okay. So we don't exactly know what's going on with the injury here, but I do think for a second we can put the injury aside because I think what's become clear to me during the off season is that there are two camps on Kyle Pitts. You're in, 
or you're out. I'm that first one, right? There are people, but there are people that are out on Kyle Pitts because they feel like he is potential over production, right? He is this six foot four unicorn of a tight end who ran the fastest 40 ever for a guy Mm -hmm. of his size. And what does it amounted to a rookie season in which he had one touchdown. It wasn't even scored in America. Then last year, a season in which he had 59 targets in 10 games and fewer than 30 catches. I'm with you, Mike. I'm on the I'm inside of this equation. I know that this is one of those things that maybe fans that are listening don't care about. But I just if you have time, go on the Internet and just search like every target thrown to Kyle Pitts last year and you'll leave and you'll probably be weeping thinking about how pathetic the quarterback play was for the entirety of when (laughs) Kyle Pitts was on the field last season. I know that Desmond Ritter is not Tom Brady. I know there are a lot of question marks surrounding what he'll become as a starting quarterback in the Falcons offense. But I got to tell you, going back and watching that offense from a passing game perspective with Marcus Mariota last year was a punishment of some sort, Daniel. Marcus Mariota was quarterback 17 and 34% of his fantasy points came from his legs. So if you talk about a guy who was already outside the top 15 of quarterbacks and then a third of those points came from not even throwing to the wide receivers or tight ends, it was awful in Atlanta. I think there's Did you watch any of the games? I unfortunately did, (laughs) Stefania. I watched a few of them. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like, it it looked like that. I think it's going to be the B. John Robinson show in Atlanta and... And we'll see. Like, I hope Kyle Pitts is an incredible Ooh, And Drake London. I hope Drake London yeah. gets, you know, you know as, but, but another Mike, year you know for what, him. Mike? But I just, uh, I don't know. It, you know what, Mike, it needs to be all three of them. There's zero excuse mm-hmm. for it to not be all three of them. Yeah. The Bijan, Pitts, London. Eighth, yeah. An eighth overall mm-hmm. pick in the past three drafts. Huge investment. Fourth, eighth, and eighth. If all three of those guys are not megastars, it is coaching malpractice of the highest order. There is so much obvious pedigree with each of those players. Like you can tell that each one of those guys merited consideration for exactly where they were drafted. Yeah. If they I, don't get those guys I, going. It's a coaching problem. I'm with you. And I think there is reason for a lot of reason for optimism yeah. with Pitts aside of the pedigree, which is also, you know, we talk about his rookie season. He scored no touchdowns in America. He was still tight end six because he was over a thousand yards as a 20 year old rookie 20, tight yeah. end, which is unbelievable. That level of accomplishment. And last year, it was sporadic, but he made some plays. Like you just talked about watching oh, the film man, and stuff. If you saw when he when the the ball was on target, he looks like he's just towering over everyone Those six else. Catches it's not even were fair. Really good. Those six when catches the balls were great. Were on they were great. Yeah. Uh, so and and also there's there's chatter. They're gonna try to balance the op. Like last year, they knew their quarterback play was bad and it was extremely run heavy. There's talk about like leveling it out a little bit, right? Remember his target share trailed only Mark Andrews last season. They, when they did call pass, they targeted him. So I'm optimistic about the talent level and I think the opportunity will be better. I feel like you're lying to me. No, you're I'm just going to call you. Like you're saying it, you're right. His target share was second to Mark Andrews. His actual targets per game or targets because he yeah, missed. But it was still it was enough six, to be a six tight targets. One. Six yeah. targets. And you're also game. like, that's not a massive number. That's not Travis Kelsey, but like, Think about what you would do. If you could get six targets a game from your tight end, you probably think to yourself, I can live with that. And first and average at the target both yeah. seasons too. So it's downfield. It's more opportune, you know, high, and high impact targets. Last so. thing I'll say, and I know that Mike has mentioned this in a prior show is that like that suppressed target number is already baked into the fact that he's tight end seven right, right now. Right, under yeah, ADP. Like you're true. not, you're not using the 20th overall pick on Kyle Pitts. You're getting him in some cases at like pick 68. Like that's a totally valuable late seventh round pick that could end up being a league winning player. If the Falcons just do what they should do with a guy who is the most gifted athletic tight end we have literally ever seen. Ever. And that he's the most gifted athletic tight end when he's healthy. So, I, I mean, I think we're kind of mixing things up here because there's the offense that Atlanta ran, and I get it. He was targeted, but it was off target most of the time. He can't help that. He made amazing athletic catches. Well, he did that because he was able to do that because he was a healthy athletic mm-hmm. guy. So I think, yes, uh, does does it improve with better quarterback play potentially? I think so. Is he going to be targeted as much? I'm not sure because I think Drake London comes into his own. I think B. John Robinson takes things away. I mean, who is who is to fully know? But all of his success that we're talking about is predicated on him being a fully healthy, amazing athlete. Mm-hmm. And I have seen zero of him so far. So until I see it, and I, I look forward to it because I want, you know, 
I am a PT. I actually want guys to come back yeah. and be healthy and be as good as they were pre-injury. And we just, we haven't seen what Kyle Pitts was promised to us to be in the NFL. I want to see that. I want it for him. Just not confident that it happens this year. I, I think, still think we saw it. I think we did see it as a rookie. Like, I know the mm-hmm. touchdown number is, is obviously sure. very, very difficult. But it was the second best receiving yardage t- uh, season for a rookie ever. Amongst tight Seems ends, good. right? Him and Mike Dicka, the only two to ever surpass a thousand yards as a rookie tight end. All right, he's going to be a player that we're going to discuss a ton over the next few mm-hmm. months because, as we have made very clear, there are two sides of the Kyle Pitts argument. You're either in or you are very, very out. There is not much in between. One last check on the poll here before we say goodbye. Oh my gosh. The masses are starting to believe in Daniel as now sixty-eight percent compared <laughs> wow. to seventy percent. Is Yeah, nearly twelve hundred votes cast. Let's try to get that number up so quite a bit. We'll have voting. a uh, you can go check out uh, at Fantasy Focus on Twitter to make your vote and see whether you think Daniel can run a forty yard dash in over or under <laughs> five point eight one seconds. Plenty of injury insight there from Stefania Bell. We are back next week same time same place topic tbd for stefania mike and daniel on field we'll talk to you guys next wednesday 581 no chance that's really you'll be faster than that i am going to probably do a five six i just wanted to give myself some room mm-hmm. might be double digits <laughs> double digits stefania no way Not a mystery, the one that we depend on for all our podcast needs. Graduate, full sell you, Alliance fan through and through. With the hippest beard, I'm telling you, he's dead.